Thanks for joining me. I'm Stacy, and I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head over to my website, stacysummero.com, for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. friends. Thank you for tuning into episode three. Christmas is coming and we're already getting snow here in upstate New York and I'm drinking hot chocolate and I'm wearing this incredible fuzzy robe when I get up with my kids in the morning, which improves the quality of my life like a thousand percent. I'm definitely a warm weather kind of person, so I'm really looking forward to some of my speaking engagements, which are coming up in Florida and California, where I'm going to get my doses of winter sunshine. So before we get to the episode today, I wanted to let you know that I have a free tool I'm now giving away on my website for anyone who subscribes to my email list. It's a worksheet called How to Make the Right Choice, and it's for you if you are looking to find God's will for a decision or maybe even just getting to know how to better follow His will for you right this moment. I am so excited to be able to offer you what I learned from discerning religious life and discerning many decisions ever since, and I draw on some tools from saints and some people who are way holier than I am. So included in this worksheet is a prayer that totally changed my spirituality and allowed me to actually let God finally be in control of my life. If you know how much I like to be in control, then this is a true miracle, (laughs) absolutely miraculous prayer. So just head to my website, uh, subscribe, and you can get that as well as my new blog post and each and every new episode of the Called and Caffeinated podcast in your inbox every other Tuesday. So let's get to the episode. If you are struggling to find actionable, practical tools for knowing God's will for you, then my guest today has a solid gold nugget of wisdom that will be perfect for you. Even better, it's perfect for helping you at any stage of any decision, whether that's a major vocation decision or life choice, or something really small like discerning how to spend your free time. Plus, he has insight into the big picture of discernment that was super helpful for me and takes the anxiety out of making decisions. Paul Krenzlock and I spoke together at a discernment event, and when I heard his talk, I immediately knew that I wanted to have him on the podcast. He brings a Master's of Divinity and 25 years of serving the church, including being a spiritual director, to his talks on discernment. Plus, he's just really easy to talk to and is so passionate about his faith, so that's a truly great combo. Currently, Paul is the program director for the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement, where he helps young people discern their vocations. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. Paul, thank you so much for joining me this morning. How are you? I am well, doing very well. I'm afraid I don't have any coffee here with me, but I just water. <laughs> yeah, on the first episode, it's funny because my, my husband is also not a coffee drinker, so um, I'm praying for his conversion, and I will pray for yours as well. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Y'all have to pray really hard. <laughs> Did you ever try coffee before and, and not like it? Or, or is it just it's something? You, you know, it's like one of those things that I've had five times in my lifetime. And it tastes okay. But I just, it's just not my thing. And I, yeah. I wake up like I'm awake in the morning. I guess I'm a morning person. So I, I don't really need it from that perspective. Gotcha. That's pretty great, actually. You probably save a lot of money. Yeah. I'm sure. I probably do. My wife makes up for me. She drinks a lot of coffee. (laughs) Nice, nice. Could you just tell me a little bit about the different calls that you've received from God in your faith journey um, Mm -hmm. and what they looked and felt like? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, I think I really felt a call, a sense of call very young in grade school. Definitely, I went to a Catholic grade school. There were a lot of nuns, uh, priests, and they put the sense of call in me pretty early, especially about priesthood. So that was something that I did think about in grade school, in high school, um, throughout college. Right after college, I decided for a summer, um, kind of in between my first job, to go and live with a parish priest for the summer. Wow. And he wanted, you know, he gave me the opportunity to see what parish life was like and what it was like to be, uh, live as a priest. It was a, it was a wonderful summer. Wow. And um, then shortly after that, I started my first job as a youth minister. Mm. But right, right after that, that summer, I had the strong sense that I, I definitely had a call to serve the church. But it, it was just at that point, a gut sense, a heart sense that it wasn't as a priest. Mm. So I knew I had a call and I knew I had a call to serve and serve the church. But it felt really important to stay open to marriage. And all I can say at that point is what it felt like is it just felt right. Mm-hmm. That, and somewhat the call to be a priest, it, it just didn't feel right. It felt empty. Um, but what did feel strong and life-giving was the call to serve the church, at least for a while. Mm. I think my life really took its primary course then when I went to graduate school in my later 20s. So I had been a youth minister for five years, loved it, but I always had a dream of being a clinical psychologist and helping people. So my plan was to move to Seattle, which I did, go to graduate school for a year for theology, which Mm. I did, and then pursue a PhD program for clinical psychology. But what happened is when I was in grad school for theology, Rather than doing just a year, I'm like, well, let's do the two-year degree. Hmm. Well, mm, that's pretty good. <laughs> let's do the whole <laughs> Master of Divinity. And I just kept going because I loved it and it spoke to me. Hmm. And one of the things about it, I think, is not so much that I chose it, but it chose me. Hmm. It, it wasn't really my plan just to keep going with it. But mm-hmm. I did because it felt more right than anything else, and I loved it. So there, basically, at least my ministry was set, not to be a clinical psychologist, but ever since I've been serving the church in mm. a lot of different ways, campus ministry, youth ministry, adult faith formation, chaplaincy, but it really was set at that time. Wow, that's beautiful. I love what you said about how the Masters of Divinity chose you because I think a lot of people in my generation feel like we need to hustle. But I think the idea of receptivity, that something Mm. chooses us, um, I mean, it's right in the name of this podcast called and caffeinated, which implies that, you know, that we are not doing the calling that, that God is calling us. Mm. Um, And I think it's, it's easy to lose that that sense sometimes and, and we yes. think we have to make everything happen when in fact like we can relax a little bit and you know discern it as we go and and go with what seems to be calling out to us yeah i love that yeah That's and i also great. i also love in your story how you actually went and lived 
with a parish priest for a summer because mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people who are discerning and I was in this place myself where it was like, yes, I'm discerning, but I haven't actually visited a con. Mm-hmm. So I love that you actually took that and, and, mm-hmm. and then you were able to say with a more educated kind of, um, you know, just, just more, more knowledge that, you know, this wasn't really your path, but you mm-hmm. had that experience under, under your belt. When we were speaking together back at the event in October, um, I heard you encourage people who are discerning to focus on the who rather than the what. Can you just kind of unpack that for us? Yeah, sure. So kind of a little bit about just what we were just talking about is I think we get so anxious about what we're supposed to do. Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? What is God's plan? And I get it. We... You know, there's a lot of pressure in life in in some ways to figure out what we're doing and what we're supposed to do. Time doesn't stand still. But there's something that comes before that. And I think if we get this right, the what works itself out much more easily. Mm -hmm. That is the call to who. That is the call to our essential identity. And I didn't talk about this part specifically in the talk, but I think this is really powerful when it talks about the who. And it's something that we hear often, but we sort of gloss over. Yeah. And that's um, the verse from Genesis. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We are made in the image and likeness of God. Now, what if all of us really own that Mm -hmm. profound theological truth about it says who we are Mm. and of course i mean we are small and minuscule in the whole plan but this also says we are inherently important um we all have god's being within us and this call to identity then is to to recognize that one and own this this sense of importance, really, that we have. And then specifically, I think we are each made with a specific purpose to be sacraments of God or to reveal God in a certain way. We're all made differently. So that's why there's so many different saints and patron saints. They all have a different way through them in which we encounter who God is. And we have that way too. So there is that little film that we watched when we were at that workshop put out by Ascension Press called, Who Are You? And there's a line from it that I love. It says, the truth is, you, me, all of us are here for a reason. Your inherent beauty, your unique unrepeatability is not an accident but a gift. Mm. It's all part of an epic plan. And then it, it goes on, never before and never again will there be another you. So this you, this me that God created, God, God is depending on us to, to share with the world um, that gift that we are, that specific part of God's being that each of us carry and that are a gift to the world. So it really, this call to identity is about becoming who God made us to be, living out that purpose for which God made us. 
when we can get deeply in touch with that, that deepest identity, that deepest purpose, then the what becomes clearer, mm-hmm. but it's rooted in the identity. Yes. You are very right in all of that. And I'm going to link to that that wonderful video in the show notes, because I think there wasn't a dry eye after that three minute video. I was crying. I know it, it was so moving. And in a world where often we feel like we're only as good as the number of likes on our last Instagram post, I think really calling attention to the dignity of who we are is so important. I want to get into Ignatian spirituality. Okay. And I know that Ignatian spirituality is huge. I mean, uh, we could probably have an entire weekly podcast episode just on Ignatian spirituality from here until doomsday. (laughs) Um, So we're really only going to talk about kind of a very small part of it, but um, I love sort of the practical application that it has. So could you just in like one minute, just give us the cliff notes version of St. Ignatius's story? Sure. So St. Ignatius um, was born in the late 1400s, and he had great dreams to be a military leader. So he really was caught up in all of the romanticism of it Mm -hmm. and uh, all the the trappings that came with that. But um, eventually, actually, he suffered this horrific um, injury. Uh, A cannonball hit him and shattered both of his legs. So as he was convalescing for over a year, he, first he kind of entertained himself with all of these stories of the military leaders and those dreams that he had, those fantasies, and they made him feel good. But then somebody gave him two books, one on the life of the saints and the other one on Jesus. And as he started reading these, he noticed that they really gave him much more of a deeper and lasting peace than all of these stories of military exploits. And so, really, this formed the basis of the spirituality of discernment, that when he was experiencing the stories of the saints and of Jesus, it's something that spoke deeply to his desire in a very deep way, and he felt a deep sense of peace and consolation. Whereas the other stories, whereas they maybe initially felt fun and exciting, exciting, left him feeling empty. So from that, he came up with a whole system of discernment through our desires, through our, you know, kind of deepest emotions, not just feelings, but our deepest desires. Mm. That's beautiful. So, um, you know, let's talk about desire more because I think this is a huge topic, which we probably won't cover fully today. But I know that, you know, when I was discerning, um, I kind of went through this long phase, the early part of my life where I I really just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I kind of, I didn't even try to listen to God because I was really afraid he would ask me to do something I didn't want to do. And then finally, I kind of started to realize that, you know, he's really calling me to something. I need to pay attention to this. But that fear was still there that he's going to call me to do something I don't want to do. You know, and, and finally, I'm at the point now where I've recognized that, you know, giving my will over to God is, is so fruitful. And, and I can say with confidence, not always, but sometimes, you know, not, not my will, but yours be done and, and feel that peace. But I always have my desires still. I always have, I can't not want things. So, you know, what, what role does our 
desire, play in discernment? Uh, Christopher West of Theology of the Body does a lot of great stuff on desire mm-hmm. and specifically talks about this. So I'll try to just say a little bit to that and especially some of what I've been talking about, but what I hear in him so well is he speaks that we all have this yearning, that we all have this ache and a longing. It's, it's there in all of us, all human beings. And that longing ultimately is placed there by God. It's mm. the longing for the infinite, which is God. And um, we try oftentimes to fill that longing with superficial things, you know, with things that may, you know, make us feel temporarily good, new clothing, you know, gaining lots of money, um, all the different ways superficially in which we kind of feed ourselves. Mm. That, in a sense, is that desire, but it's filling it in a way, um, trying to fill that empty space that only God can fill um, through just material things or goods or whatever it is. But, uh, this deeper desire. Um, so, so that desire, even when we fill it with superficial things, it's speaking still to this sense of ache and longing and desire that we have in all of us. Mm-hmm. But if we start mining through that desire, like Ignatius, St. Ignatius, he found out that only God could fill that desire. Mm-hmm. And that desire is our call for God to inviting us to fall in love with him. Um, and then to share that love. So this sense of desire really leads us to, number one, to God, to this deep call that can only be filled by God alone, through relationship with God. Mm. And... Um, that's what God wants for us. God wants our deepest desires to be met. So I think oftentimes when we think of desires, we, I've, I've done this too, Stacey, where you think, oh my gosh, you know, God's will must be what I hate. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> right. my desires are superficial. But the opposite is true. God, our deepest desires and God's desires are no different. And our deepest desire truly is to fall in love with God and share that love with everyone else. So if we are really getting in touch with our deepest desires, that's what it'll lead us to. It'll lead us to this deep relationship of love, of sharing God's love, of falling in love. And it's not something that's selfish at all because it really does lead us eventually to give that love away. Mm, bam that's it right there that's the meaning of life <laughs> well done paul <laughs> that no that's that is so true um i think a lot of uh, you know any hopeless romantics um out there who are listening will be very consoled by hearing <laughs> what you're saying because um, so often i think our desires for something that's really deep and true and you know true love we feel like those desires are too much and we kind of tell ourselves no i'm I'm just, I want too much. I expect too much. And we really should get in touch with those desires and not just write them off as being Mm -hmm. impractical or uh, something that can't be realized because it really is waiting there for every single one of us. You know, God's love is waiting for us in the tabernacle. And um, my spirituality comes a lot from 
the heart of Christ, the love of the heart of Christ. And this particular prayer experience where I saw him holding his heart out to me and, you know, and asking for my heart in return as well. And, and this exchange of hearts, that this gift of his heart to me, and this realization that he's giving me so much more than I could ever give in return, it's kind of this never-ending fountain of, of love, which is available to each of us to tap into. And I think mm-hmm. that's so beautiful. It just sits in a place of um, mm. such rightness and such peace with me, and it, and it makes me feel really found. Mm. When I think about that, um, because I was thinking about this the other day, I was trying to put a word on my personal experience of, of this ache that you were talking about. And, and I yeah. totally agree. Ache is a great word for it. And I was trying to, to find one word that would sort of express what I most want. And what I came up with was that I want to be sought. I want to be sought out. Mm. Like I want to be that pearl of great price that someone sells everything they have to, to, to buy, you know, and, and each one of us really is sought by the heart of Christ and, and mm. he'll come for us. He'll come after us. I was actually just talking to a lady the other day and she was talking about how Christ's heart sought her out. And I thought, Oh man, that's so beautiful. There's su- such a great synchronicity between sort of the great truths. Like when, when you're talking about our desires and God's desires being one and the same. Everybody I've talked to who has found their vocation kind of says that same thing, which is that there's your desires, your deepest desire isn't selfish because ultimately that desire is the same as God's and that desire will lead you to give yourself away. Right. Um, and so we hear this in in the writings of, of JP2 and like you're saying, Christopher West, and um, I'll link to the Theology of the Body in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they have some great resources, the Theology of the Body Institute, um, but ultimately it, it all comes down to getting in touch with these deepest desires, which can be hard because it's it's painful at first. You know, you, you right. have to feel this ache first. You have to, to really understand what do I actually want and right. be willing then to maybe take some leaps out of whatever yeah. may be comfortable, but not satisfying life you're living or maybe uncomfortable and unsatisfying life that you're living into something, um, into something that's better. Um, yes. Yeah. And it's scary. It's scary, but ultimately that's really, you know, you have to have that risk. Yeah. You have to have that risk. Um, you know, we may get it wrong. <laughs> right. You can't just try to figure it out from your head. And that's why even if we do get it wrong, that we're open, you know, we really have a, this sense of asking for God's help in all of this. God will show us through this process of discernment what our authentic desires are and, you know, what are the more uh, superficial ones. Mm-hmm. I think about all of the great adventure stories I've ever loved to read, and they, every hero or heroine had to take risks in order to achieve something great. Um, right. Yeah, and I know it's like a you know maybe a little cheesy or whatever. It's something you would see on like a Pinterest board, but I read somewhere, "Be the hero in your own story," and and I do think that thinking of ourselves as the hero of our own story is, is mm. good because it sort of gives us permission to take those risks and, and maybe sometimes do things that we feel called to that aren't necessarily practical, mm-hmm. but are going yeah. to lead to the best life that we, you know, that God is calling us to. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking about is just the word passion, which we hear a lot about, you know, follow mm. your passion. But yes. I think this whole journey is very passionate 
And yes. when I think about the great saints, they aren't boring. You know, their stories, <laughs> their stories uh, many are very passionate. And you think of St. Augustine, uh, a man of great passion, um, who really followed the, the wrong path for a while. Yes, but definitely. Following it, what, what still was the basis of this was that he was seeking intensely this um, for that void to be filled. He was following that ache. And eventually the ache led him to uh, the right place, you know, to God. But that passion, this whole process is passionate. And mm. it does open us up. It does make us vulnerable. But I mean, think about what we call the very journey of Christ, the passion of Christ. Mm. This passion is resurrection. This whole love affair is passionate. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So good. There's, um, so, so we've talked a little bit about false desires versus authentic desires. Cause you know, we have, we can have passions for things that are not good. They're not right. good for our soul. They're not morally right. Or maybe they're morally neutral, but they're, they're not going to lead us to get in touch with this deepest desire. Like, you know, a passion for watching Netflix is probably not going to lead us to any great sainthood. Right. 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 <laughs> right. So, so maybe you could, um, Tell me a little bit about um, the concept of consolation and desolation as a way of sort of figuring out what are these authentic desires. Sure. Yeah. And again, this obviously could be many talks right here. So this is a really brief overview and I'll try to get some resources at the end that can speak more to this. Wonderful. Um, So there's a biblical concept, a biblical verse that says, by the fruits they shall be known. And this is very uh, helpful in discernment in the sense that our actions, our desires uh, can be um, ascertained, the quality of them or judged, I guess, to use that word, by the fruits they produce. Do our actions, do our desires, does the direction of our life produce within ourselves a sense of desolation, which I'll explain in a second, or consolation. So desolation and consolation are the outcomes or the fruits of anything that we're, any way we're living in our life or discerning. So for instance, just a very practical example, let's say um, I'm discerning whether or not to take a job. Uh, I would go into my deepest feelings, or I'm going to call them those deep desires, and see if they lead to a sense of either desolation or consolation. Mm -hmm. So by desolation, I mean things like if I'm discerning this job and I'm just sticking with it for a while, how does it it resonate with my spirit as a deep level? Mm -hmm. Does it make me feel, you know, uneasy or settled? Uh, Am I kind of just fearful when I think about it? Am I kind of just bored or disengaged? Or on the other hand, does it just kind of magnify my spirit? Does it make me feel very excited? Do mm-hmm. I have this sense of like openness and possibility or a sense of peace? Um, do I feel, you know, a sense not of fear, but a sense of trust? Like, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with this job, but it will be okay. Mm. So there's a whole list of qualities that we can go by under either desolation or consolation, and we can see which is it overall that we're really experiencing. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And in this Ignatian brand of spirituality, it really gets, it, it really invites us to get in touch then and recognize that God is speaking through these deepest feelings. God is speaking through the spirit as it is in our body. That's such a big part of theology of the body, by the way, and Christian mm, West. Full circle. So, yeah. So, you know, the answer, I think, oftentimes is we just look for something written in the sky, mm. um, a sign. And not that that can't happen. God does speak to us through other people, things like that. But oftentimes, another way is it's right within. It's right here, the answer of how the spirit is manifesting in our bodies. Yes, it is. That's beautiful. Can you uh, give us that? Do you have that list of sort of consolation and desolation, sort of the descriptions of what each looks like? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, that would be great. Um, so again, I think that this can apply in a couple of ways. It can apply to specific decisions, but more broadly, and I think in some ways, more importantly, just how we're living our lives. Mm-hmm. Are we in a life are we on a path that's leading us closer to God and giving our lives away? Or are we living our lives in a way that's maybe, you know, either moving away from God or neutral, just kind of hanging out. So those would be, so desolation, you know, the more superficial spirit. One would be if we're, um, I'll say this is really important, especially for how we're living our lives in general, you know, whether or not we're on the right track or not. So if we are just really preoccupied with small stuff, if we're into petty stuff, very negative, um, if our goals are really low reaching, mm. you know, oftentimes we're seeing ourselves as in, a, in a victim mode. So mm. that victim negative mode, that's generally a sign that we're in a place of desolation. Mm. Or if we just become very close-minded, like not open to any other viewpoints, our heart is very hard. Um, that's a sign of desolation. Doubt is a really big one. Doubt and confusion. I think this is important to me. Oftentimes I can feel myself in my, if I'm in a sense of desolation that I'm just spinning. My mm. head is going back and forth and um, I don't really know what course is right. And rather than having any sureness at all, I'm in this perpetual state of doubt. Mm -hmm. Just generally feeling uneasy, unsettled, maybe uh, inner restlessness. Uh, When we lose perspective, we're oftentimes in a sense of desolation. So where any little thing becomes a major thing, and we think, oh my gosh, you know, this is terrible. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's not that big. Um, If we're bored, you know, Mm. just kind of disengaged, like uh, going through life, just not feeling any passion whatsoever, just the trip between the refrigerator and the couch. Yeah. Um, Or (laughs) if we're, you know, if fear and worry really has a grip. So all of those things are signs of desolation. So you want me to go right on to consolation? I'd love that. Yes. Okay. So... Um, we can kind of play those off of each other. So consolation, instead of that sense of being preoccupied with the small and being negative, if ever we find ourselves in this place of generosity of spirit, I call it, um, where we're really um, in a place where it feels good to give, 
and it feels good to give away that we're that we're not so concerned about ourselves but with the other so that generosity of spirit oftentimes marked by gratitude just being grateful for things is a big sign of consolation mm. um, openness instead of you know that closed-mindedness and hardness of hearts we are openness and openness to mystery you know excited mm. about mystery so even though things are uncertain, we're like, oh, this is cool. I wonder what's going to happen. And I can't wait to learn and learn something new and for God to teach me something new and teach me in this situation. Um, doubt. Instead of doubt, I mean, the answer to doubt or the opposite is faith. This sense that even though we can't completely see the path or see it well at all, we know that God has our back. We know that it'll be okay. You know, we have this sense of faith in God's closeness and in God being there for us. Um, instead of, you know, that uneasiness and unsettledness, just a general sense more of peace and tran tranquility. It may not be perfect peace or tranquility, but this sense that things are okay. Even if things are really hard, there's an abiding sense that it's okay. There's a peacefulness. Yes. Instead of loss of perspective, there is perspective. You know, if we're like seeing, okay, this, this hard thing happened. It's not as a bad thing, maybe. I mean, very disruptive, but it's going to be okay. Mm. You know, so if you're able to take things in stride, it's a sense that you're, you're in a pretty good place. You're living in this place where you really are oriented and grounded in God. Mm. That's being that allows you to take things in perspective. And then instead of boredom, um, we have these great desires. We're passionate. You know, that whole as aspect of, our, of desires that we've been talking about, those are engaged. And finally, um, instead of feeling fearful, um, we have trust. We have mm. trust. You know, it goes along very much with faith. But just this sense, again, that, this may be hard, you know, but it's okay. I, yeah. I trust. And again, that's a sign of consolation, a sign that we really are rooted and moving toward God in our lives or towards, or God is in this specific decision or path. Mm. Those are so, so very good. I think it's worth noting as I was listening to you mention all of these things, I was thinking of the different instances in my life where I've done something that was kind of objectively really good, but wasn't actually giving me a sense of consolation. Hmm. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking a job that maybe is, looks smart on paper, but hmm. I feel this sense of desolation, hmm, yeah. um, you know, so, so sometimes we can do things that are, they look good from the outside, but inside of us, we really kind of have this deep sense. We know without, without doing anything, we just, we just know that it's not the right decision. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think about other things, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the things that really do give me consolation. And sometimes that can be very, very small things like um, choosing to put my phone down and get off social media and go play with my children. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel a, a, an expansion there because I know that I'm investing in their future and I'm teaching them that, you know, they're more important than mommy's phone. Mm 
Right. Um, and I'm, I'm basically telling them that they're worth my time and attention. And, and there mm. is um, a real joy that comes from that, even though it can be really hard. There, I do feel a lot of resistance to doing those things that give me consolation sometimes, but that's mm. not a reason to not do them. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I actually, I, uh, I want to link to a blog post <clears throat> that I wrote last year because my new year's resolution last year was to basically do the things that give me um, peace, which is kind of another word for this consolation that you're talking about. I think you fleshed it out beautifully to really understand, you know, to really help us understand what we should be doing in a practical way. So thank you for that. That was awesome. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Yeah. So I think this is maybe, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm just thinking about the points in my different discernment, not just for my vocation, although that was a big one, but kind of in, in just in life, there's certain times when we get into a desolation, but we have to make a practical decision. What do you, what do you recommend for people who are in that place? Yeah, in the space of desolation, try to double down on prayer. Try to double down on finding spaces of quiet so that we can hear God's voice settling or if it's a, for a person who goes and spends time with um, Jesus in adoration, do that. Just pray, <laughs> because um, the tendency is to, to not, actually, but we need to double down on that in whichever way calls or works for us. So mm-hmm. that's important. Another one is to seek community at those times. Mm-hmm. God speaks to other people. We need uh, the support of God to other people. So don't try to do it all on your own, but seek a faith-filled community as support. And then as a very practical thing, try not to make a decision when you're in a place of desolation. Um, Or if you can't completely pull yourself from it, try at least to get into that place of quiet or do make a decision really within that context of prayer. Um, because oftentimes when we're in desolation, we just want to get out of it because it's so painful. Yes. We'll make a decision fast just to try to get out of the pain. Um, But try not to make it, at least when you're in the intense desolation. But if you can do it more from a more steady place, a more grounded place, that's a lot better. So let's say you have a specific decision to make about a job or anything. If you can, let's say, if you have the luxury of a week, let's say, and just say, okay, I'm going to say yes to taking this job and see what feelings come up in terms of either consolation or desolation. Mm. So just do that for three days. And Mm -hmm. then for the next three days, say, I'm going to say no to this job and see what feelings of consolation and desolation come up. So the key in being successful with that is when you're saying the yes, just stick with the yes in those three days. Don't go back and forth and say, okay, well, how does this compare if I'd say no? No, just stay with the yes. Have discipline to do this and see what comes up. Um, And then the same thing if you say the other positions. Just stay with the no without going back and forth in your head. Really let those feelings of consolation and desolation come up. And then the last day of the week, then you can compare. But don't Mm. compare during the process. That is a great tool. To anyone who's discerning a decision, do you have some books you want to recommend? Yeah, sure. With this whole idea of consolation and desolation, 
there's one that I love. In the first few chapters, uh, honestly, are uh, a bit dry, but the middle is perfect in terms of consolation and desolation. And this is called Listening to the Music of the Spirit, uh, Listening to the Music of the Spirit, colon, The Art of Discernment. Mm. And this is by a, a Jesuit priest, Father David Lonsdale. And it's, I don't know if it's still being printed, but you can still get copies of this on Amazon all the time. Okay. So that would be important. There's another one that I like. It's a bunch of essays on discernments, and it's called Catholics on Call, Discerning a Life of Service in the Church. Hmm. And that actually goes in, it gives a background on discernment overall, but then it actually has chapters on if you're considering lay ministry in the church, if you're considering religious life, or if you're considering priesthood. There are chapters on all those different things. And that's also a name of an organization that holds an institute every summer for people who are discerning, mm-hmm. serving the church in one way or another, Catholics on Call. Great. So that's very helpful. There's um, a website that, I, well, one more book. And this is one I just recently came about. I haven't read it, but it looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's by Rachel Marie Collins. It's called Called by God, Discernment and Preparation for Religious Life. And this is specifically for women who are considering religious life. Mm. So looking at it in the chapters, uh, it looks very good to me. Awesome. And then finally, for just general discernment resources and online resources, there's a website um, called ignatianspirituality.com, ignatianspirituality.com. And again, this would have a lot more about consolation, desolation, the life of St. Ignatius, and a lot. it'd go more in-depth into a lot of principles of discernment that are very helpful. I stumbled across that website the other day, actually, just looking up Ignatian, um, Ignatian spirituality, and they have uh, really, they, they really unpack it in a way that is very friendly for millennials with a lot of videos, and you can kind of go for, you know, look at a specific issue if you want, or look at a specific retreat if you want, and it, it's, it's very well done. So, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely cool. recommend that. Well, Paul, it's been so great meeting you in this virtual coffee shop of podcast land. (laughs) Same here. Thank you. Yes, thank you for your time. Uh, I think everything you gave us was beautiful and, you know, great on a theoretical level and also great on a practical level. I'm glad. It was a pleasure. Yes, for me too. Thank you so much. God bless. You too. I so enjoyed my chat with Paul, despite the fact that he isn't a coffee drinker, and I hope you did too. If you have questions for him, you can reach him at pkrenzelock at atonementfriars.org, or you can find him through the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement's website, which I link to in the show notes. Can't wait to see you in two weeks for more coffee. Stay Catholic and stay caffeinated.